Thanks for downloading the Tudor and Stuart Ireland Conference podcast. The conference took place in University College Dublin on the 2nd and 3rd of September 2011 and saw over 50 speakers from Ireland and beyond come together to share their ideas in an interdisciplinary forum. In association with HistoryHub.ie, the majority of the papers are available for podcasting via the HistoryHub.ie website and on iTunes. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Dr Emma Lyons. She has recently completed her PhD at the School of History and Archives, University College Dublin. Her research interests include Catholic landed estates of female inheritance in 17th and 18th century Ireland. Her paper is entitled Letters Patent and the Court of Claims, the Experience of Latins, 1640 to 1660. A turbulent and disruptive period in Irish history, the 17th century, through the frequent change in land ownership, produced changes more catastrophic and far-reaching than anything Ireland had experienced since the 12th century. This was especially true for Catholic landowners, who held approximately 59% of land in Ireland in 1641. About 25 years later, only 22% remained in Catholic hands. This decline resulted from unprecedented offences, offensives, catastrophic land confiscations and the transplantation to Connacht of most of those Catholics who had survived in their estates until 1652. Despite these widespread confiscations and transplantations, a number of Catholic families did succeed in retaining their estates in the 1660s, while others appear to have retained their estates between 1640s and 1660s. The Latins from County Kildare were one Catholic family who seemed to have retained their property during the period under review, a feat achieved by adopting various and diverse tactics, including declaring the head of the family distracted. Although there was no guarantee that these methods would be successful, and indeed many were not, Catholic families were willing to go to extreme lengths in a bid to retain their estates, and this may be observed by examining, examining the plight of the Latin family which is brought to light in four sources. Notes included on the family pedigree, the record of the Court of Claims, and two letters patent dated in 1661 and 67. Together, these sources provide a unique and detailed insight into the lives of the Latin family, in addition to the methods and techniques employed by them between 1640 and 1667 in an effort to retain their estates. The Latin family settled at Morristown Latin in County Kildare, having received considerable grants of land from King John. The Latin name first appeared in Irish records in 1386, although no further reference to the family appears until the 16th century, where two marriages are recorded, that of John Latin and Alison Eustace, and that of their son, also John, to Alison Ash. However, no mention of the Latin's landholdings was made until 1609, when the charter of Naysborough recorded that John and Alson's eldest son, William, an MP in the 1613-15 Parliament, held six messuages in Nace. However, as William's marriage to Anne Lutterell failed to produce a male heir, William's nephew, John, subsequently inherited the Latin estate. By 1641, John Latin was in possession of approximately 752 acres around Nace, along with a castle, a house, and a number of tenements in the town itself. And just here on the slide, um, you can see the town's lands that they held, and these included Craddockstown, Lowestown, Millettstown, Morristown, Nace, Rathasker, and Weston, and the quantities of land that were in each town's land is displayed above. That the Latins, a Catholic family, held property in County Kildare would not have been out of the ordinary in the 1640s. 
According to Aidan Clark's calculations, there were uh, 140,000 acres of profitable land in County Kildare. Of this, 76% was in Old English hands. On the basis of Clark's calculations, it may be estimated that the Latins held approximately 0.47% of the total profitable land in Kildare, or 0.62% of the land held by Catholics in the county. The Latins, therefore, were a significant land-owning family in County Kildare. However, their prominent position during that decade placed them in a relatively precarious position politically. From the Court of Claims records of 1663, it would appear that John Latin, William's nephew, and I'll just put back up the family tree, um, voted in the Confederate elections in the 1640s. He was accused by John Hewitson, a 1649 officer who later became High Sheriff for County Kildare, of subscribing to the file of indentures for electing Burgesses to the Supreme Council at Kilkenny. Although a copy of the electoral return for Kildare does not survive, a sample of the Confederate electorate may be gleaned from the cases which came before the Court of Claims. From this source, it may be determined that Latin was one of at least six Catholics from County Kildare who voted in the Confederate elections in 1646. Given that the Latins were Catholic landholders and that John voted in, in the above elections, it was likely that the family would have been affected by the 1652 Act of Settlement. Although the Act's preamble stated that it was not the intention of Parliament to extirpate the entire nation, it was made clear that pardon as to life and estate would be granted to the inferior sort and that those of rank and quality would be treated according to their respective demerits. Consequently, Property which belonged to Catholics who had taken part in the rebellion was to be confiscated, and individuals were exempted from pardon or for life or estate. Catholics who'd fought against Parliament were to be banished, although their wives and children were to receive an equivalent one-third of their estates forfeited, while all other Catholics who fought during the wars were to surrender their estate, receiving a similar compensation. Furthermore, Catholics who had not manifested their constant good affection to the Commonwealth would lose one-third of their estate, receiving the equivalent two-thirds of the property located in Connacht or Clare. As a consequence, John Latin was supposedly dispossessed of his estate by the late usurped power, a fact which is recorded in both the 1661 Letters Patent and O'Hart's list of forfeiting proprietors in Ireland under the Cromwellian settlements. Yet, despite being recorded as one of the thousands of Catholics who lost their estates, John does not appear to have been transplanted in the 1650s. According to the 61 Letters Patent, John was not transplanted due to his indisposition of mind and the fact that in the interval of his, his distraction and sickness, he always exclaimed against the plunder and outrages done against the king. His distraction and sickness, therefore, facilitated Latin in remaining on his estate. Indeed, it seems to account for the fact that the Latins were one of the few Catholic families who ultimately succeeded in retaining the majority of their estate intact despite a stipulation in the Act of Attainder of, 60, of 1657, which stated that those papists and rebels who refused to transplant would forfeit their claims. By the 1660s, the family had retained approximately 91% of their 1641 holdings, as maybe is observed in the above table. The means by which the family retained their estates from the 1640s to the 1660s is made clearer on examination of relevant documentation relating to the period. 
1661, the letters patent listed John's son, Stephen. Now I'm just going to switch back to uh, the family tree. Um, Stephen is highlighted in blue because he um, predeceased his, um, he wasn't married and his estate passed to his younger brother, William. So that's the reason he's in blue as opposed to red. Um, so the 1661 letters patent listed Stephen as having 682 acres around Nace. The custody of lands was granted to him on the 26th of February 1661, and um, I'm just going to fit back, and here are the lands that he held. Um, the letters patent followed a report made by Henry Viscount Moore of Drada, later Earl of Drada, and Thomas Viscount Boltingloss. The basis of the report um, was a commission which was held in November uh, 1660 in order to inquire into the lunacy of the said John Latin. On the 12th of December, the Commission published its findings and declared that it appeared that the said John Latin was a mad and distracted man diverse years before the late rebellion and in the year 1644 and several times since. The basis of this finding relied upon several certificates of person of honour and credit and many of them Protestants and near neighbours, including Sir Maurice Eustace. All who submitted certificates testified that John Latin was, as well before as as well, sorry, as well as since the year 1641 to be for the most part distracted in his senses and of unsound memory. As a result of these testimonies, the Commission was well satisfied of John's innocence and as a result, as being an innocent person, he was judged restorable to his former estate. According to L.J. Arnold, it was not completely unheard of for Catholics to be declared insane in a bid to retain their estates and he stated that a small number of Catholics were declared innocent on the grounds that they were mad. In the two illustrations provided by Arnold, the use of the words such as lunatic, mad and distracted display a similarity to the adjectives employed to describe John Latin in the Commission's report to 1660, <coughs> and to some extent explains the reasoning behind both the effort to have him declared insane and the necessity of the Commission to investigate the family's claims that he was actually mad. And the Commission's findings gave rise to the 1661 letters patent. Um, the patent awarded Stephen Latin, John's son, I'll see him again, um, the custody of the body of the said John Latin, as well as his estate, which he was to hold for enduring the lunacy and distraction of the said John Latin, and for the relief and subsistence of his children. However, Stephen was required to pay a rent of £11. 14 shillings and 8 pence sterling, and this was probably the rent which was levied by the government upon all lands held by Catholics in 1641. Although he received a significant proportion of the 1661 Latin estate, despite receiving this significant proportion of the estate, uh, Stephen subsequently lodged a claim to the Court of Claims as he was entitled to do under the provisions of the 1662 Act of Settlement. The Act, which reinforced the Gracious Declaration of 1660, um, the latter of which essentially laid down the broad guidelines to which the land settlement was to adhere. In addition to stipulating who was entitled to claim land, the Act was also responsible for the establishment of the Court of Claims, which was to oversee the implementation of the settlement, as well as providing an opportunity to claimants to have their lands heard, and preference was given to individuals who had not received land in Clare Connacht from the Commonwealth. From the above evidence contained in the Court of Claims records, it appeared that Latin submitted two claims to the Court in November 1662. His first claim, which became before the Court on the 13th of August 1663, just one week before the final appeal was heard, was one of the last Catholic claims. 
In his case, Stephen claims that, by virtue of His Majesty's letters bearing the date 10th of April 1661, his father, John, had been granted possession of the property in Morristown, Moyna, Lowestown, Millettstown, Rathasker, Craddockstown, Nace and Weston. According to the notes from the Court of Claims, Stephen's father, John, had held the above property for about 31 years, which would mean he had received the estate in approximately 1632. Um, now, the, the handwritten notes on the family pedigree say that he actually received the land in 1630, and I reckon that the uh, family records are probably more accurate because 1630 would have been the year he had reached his uh, the age of 21, so um, I think he'd received the property in 1630 rather than 32. Um, so... Because um, John had held the lands in the 1630s, um, it was stressed that Stephen was not actually in possession of the property when the family were expulsed from it by the late usurpers, and that it was agreed that because the claimant, Stephen, at the beginning of the rebellion was an infant under the age and ever since lived innocently <coughs> and inoffensively, he therefore prays that he be restored to the remainder of all the premises after the decease of the said John Latin, his father. While giving the impression that the Latins were trying to strengthen Stephen's case by drawing attention to the fact that it was John rather than Stephen who had had a suspect past, the (coughs) extract also suggests that the family highlighted and emphasised Stephen's minority due to the fact that a large number of those who had had their claims upheld were, according to Sims, women or individuals who had been under the age uh, um, of 21 in the time of the Confederation. Despite their efforts, however, Stephen was unsuccessful in his endeavours. The court's judgment of the 13th of August stated that John Latin of Morristown was outlawed and the findings were based upon the testimony of John Hewitson, who had swore that John Latin, in addition to voting in Confederate elections, was amongst other rebels in actual rebellion. Nonetheless, the case continued the following day, with Stephen arguing that Hewitt's evidence was a false claim. He argued that the attorney, the attorney who superscribed his hand um, denies that he actually did it and that, the fam- and that there was no record of, of the claim in the, al- in the alphabet of, nor the abstract, which was unusual given Stephen's assertion that all the county of Kildare was abstracted. Moreover, he also asserted that no council would admit to compiling the claim, referring to another claim which he had lodged the previous day. There was no record of the latter claim, despite the fact that a woman had stated that the claim was written by her son and that a man swore to having observed Latin's claim when he was submitting his own. Despite Latin's attempts, the court resolved not to proceed in his claim, although although following the judgment there was a suggestion to decree him at least innocent and leave him to law, but the court did not consent to it. Although it's not evident whether Stephen Latin lost custody of the estate he held in 63, or whether his father completely lost possession of the lands on the basis of the Court of Claims decision, the family pursued their case once more in 1667. Following an appeal by William Latin, Stephen's younger brother, who by then was the sole surviving heir, as you can see here, a letter patent dated the 19th of December 1667 was issued at Whitehall. It granted a substantial part of the Latin estate to William, and the letter patent stated that following the passing of the Acts of Settlement and Explanation, and upon the humble request of our beloved subject William Latin, son and heir of John Latin deceased, producing and presenting the said certificate in accordance to and in pursuance of the said several Acts of Parliament, he was given, granted, and restored to his property. 
The property, amounting to 579 acres, one rood and 25 perches. So basically these were the properties that, were, uh, that he held in 1667. Um, and these were granted to him um, and his heirs forever for their use, although they were required to pay a yearly rent to the exchequer, which was uh, subsequently removed in 1647 following a legal case taken by William Latton. The land to which uh, William was restored displays a number of differences from that of which Stephen had custody in 61. Not only does it exhibit a decrease in the quantity of property to which the family held in 1663, um, containing 103 acres less than the estate which was mentioned in the 61 letters patent, um, not, despite the difference and the decrease, Latin retained almost 77% of the total quantity of property held by the family in 1641 and 85% of the property owned by them in 1661. Um, it's clearly evident that, um, you know, even though they had lost some of their estate, that they did actually succeed in retaining a huge quantity of the estate, which many families didn't actually have the luxury of, of retaining um, during the 1660s. Um, that the decrease would, such a decrease would have occurred um, would not have been unusual during the period in question, especially given what Arthur Capel, Earl of Sussex, termed the mere scramble for lands which had taken place during the period. In fact, given the Latin family's religious persuasion and political beliefs, it's remarkable that they actually succeeded retaining any portion of their estates. So by the 1670s, the family were in a relatively more secure position than they had been for the previous 30 years. Despite John having supported the Confederation voting in the 1640 and voting in the 1646 elections, the family successfully retained a significant proportion of the estate during the 1640s, 50s and 60s. An examination of the family papers, the Court of Claims records and two letters patent provided a brief insight into the methods adopted by, that, that could be adopted by Catholic families in a bid to avoid transplantation during the Commonwealth. As Ar Arnold and Sims have pointed out, Catholics employed numerous and varied tactics, including um, highlighting the infancy of a young heir and having the head of the family declared in, um, <coughs> insane in a bid to retain and recover their estates during the period above um, under review. By successfully having John declared mad and distracted, he was deemed innocent and therefore restorable to his land. And although the estate would pass to his son, son Stephen um, and subsequently William, um, the family's de decision to pursue the course of action suggests that they realised the significant benefits which could be obtained um, by uh, employing the above tactics. Despite an apparent unsuccessful appeal to the Court of Claims in 63, the family's tactics seemed to have worked and Stephen's younger brother, William, was restored to the estate in 67. That this letter granted, um, that this grant occurred following Stephen's death suggests that the family used his death as a means to appeal for the return of their property. Moreover, that this was the Latin's third attempt to regain their property demonstrates not only the variety of methods employed by Catholic families in a bid to recover their estates, but also highlights that families often pursued more than one avenue when attempting to recover their estates. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this HistoryHope.ie podcast. You can find many more podcasts by visiting the HistoryHope.ie website.